you're traveling through another podcast. A podcast not only of reviewing and discussing, but of discovery. A journey into a wondrous show whose boundaries are that of imagination. That's the RSS feed up ahead. Your next stop, Anthology. Hello and welcome to Anthology, presented by ObsessiveViewer.com. I'm your host, Matt Hurt, and if this is your first time listening, Anthology is one man's examination of the Twilight Zone as a first-time viewer. Each podcast, I review one episode of Rod Serling's iconic series and round out the show with a bonus review of a movie or show related to the week's main topic. I also cover modern anthology science fiction shows like Black Mirror, Dimension 404, and Philip K. Dick's Electric Dreams in bonus episode review series. You can find more of Anthology as well as a full episode archive at anthologypod.com. And if you want to contact me, you can use the Facebook page at facebook.com slash anthologypod, tweet me at ovanthologypod, or send an email to matt at obsessiveviewer.com. So today on the podcast, I will be discussing the uh, 12th episode of The Twilight Zone's second season, Dust. Um, it originally aired on January 6th, 1961, and for this week's bonus review, I'll share my thoughts on A Town Has Turned to Dust, an episode of Playhouse 90 written by Rod Serling. But before I do that, I do have a couple of uh, news items to hit before we go into the actual review. Um, first of all, Happy New Year, guys. Uh, this is my first official main episode of Anthology in 2018. I previously, this week, re- uh, released my first um, bonus review of, uh, Black Mirror season four. So you can find that on the feed, but this is the first main episode of anthology and I'm super excited for 2018. Um, and to kind of, uh, uh, to commemorate that, I just want to announce that, uh, listener Joseph, uh, in New York, he won the contest for the, um, anthology shirt. So thank you, Joseph, for the very kind, um, iTunes review. And, uh, I'll get your shirt mailed out, uh, this weekend, uh, or ordered this weekend. And it'll probably be in like two weeks, uh, that it'll get to you. But yeah, so it'll be on its way. I'll probably also throw in some like stickers or something. So you'll probably get that first. Um, and then the shirt will follow soon after. So thank you again for entering and everyone who, who uh, took the time to enter. Um, and yeah, uh, I'll be doing more things like that throughout 2018, I'm sure. But um, I'm excited. And uh, Joseph, when you get your shirt, if you want to send me a, a picture of it, that would be awesome. If not, don't worry about it. Um, and then the other piece of news I want to hit on... Uh, Real quick is just that, um, over at, uh, Obsessive Viewer, um, my kind of flagship podcast over at obsessiveviewer.com, um, we released our year in review episode where me and my co-hosts, um, go through our top 10 list of the year for movies that we watched. And it's always a blast. I just wanted to kind of throw that out there to go check that out at Obsessive Viewer. And, uh, you know, check that out if you're into that kind of stuff. And then finally, um, uh, since it's the new year, I kind of want to go over some quick um, uh, podcast stats that is probably of interest to no one, but I just wanted to just throw it out there that um, Obsessive Viewer Podcasts, like ObsessiveViewer.com slash podcasts has three different podcasts. We have Obsessive Viewer, this show, and then uh, Tower Junkies, the newer podcast about Stephen King and the Dark Tower. So um, I just wanted to throw out there that in over the course of 2017, 
I produced and released 70 episodes of podcasts across all three shows altogether, which totaled out to four days and 22 hours worth of audio content. And then uh, more specifically for Anthology, uh, I released a total of 22 episodes, um, 13 of which being main episodes where I review an episode of The Twilight Zone and end it with a bonus review of a movie or show related to the week's main episode. Um, that was 13 episodes, and that accounted for 66.5% of all of the anthology episodes I released in 2017. And then I re- released eight bonus episodes, so for uh, Dimension 404 and... Well, at that point, it was just Dimension 404. Um, actually, no, I think I had two... Um, Black Mirror episodes also. Anyway, eight bonus episodes, 28.1% of all anthology episodes in 2017. And then uh, finally I had one special episode. That was my panel at Indiana Comic Con that was uh, accounted for 5.4% of anthology episodes. So anyway, all told, uh, I released 20 hours and 58 minutes of audio content on anthology for uh, in anthology accounted for 17.6% of my overall podcasting. Um, in 2017. And that is a number that I'm really going to hope to increase in 2018. I'm going to make an effort to really not, uh, not take as many impromptu, um, hiatuses and try to keep, a, try to be as consistent as I possibly can with anthology. Cause I know that I, uh, do take those, uh, sometimes I, it gets a little hard to keep up with it. Um, and so I do appreciate everyone, uh, you know, putting up with me over the last year and, uh, and, uh, enjoying the podcast for, for another year. And I'm looking forward to doing this for a long, long time, <laughs> um, given the amount of stuff that I have to review. So yeah, so that is news for this week. Um, I'm going to dive into my, um, review of dust. But of course, as I'm, as I normally will, uh, do, I will go ahead and read the plot summary courtesy of unlocking the door to a television classic by Martin Grahams Jr. And of course, um, I'm going to be spoiling every plot element of dust in, uh, in this episode going forward. So if you haven't seen dust yet, uh, go back and check it out and then come back and, um, listen to the episode. So, the plot summary for Dust is as follows. In a dry, dusty southwestern village, Louis Galagos, a Mexican villager, got drunk one night and accidentally killed a little girl with his wagon. Having been tried and found guilty, he is sentenced to hang this afternoon. In a town where everyone is sick to the stomach, a public execution is the last thing the sheriff wants to perform but makes the necessary preparations. Sykes, a traveling peddler and boisterous, scheming notion of evil, sells the rope that will be used to hang the young man. Sykes then offers false hope to the condemned man by selling the boy's father some magic dust that will supposedly make him make hate turn into love. Then the naive father believes the peddler and buys the bag for a hundred pesos. Moments before Galagos is to be hanged, his father shouts about, throwing dust on everyone, pleading for love. Sykes, in the background, enjoys the laughs. The ceremony goes on, however, and the trap is sprung. Through the hand of providence, the rope breaks and the boy's life is saved. Some people in the crowd shout for a rehanging, but the parents of the dead girl, seeing the desperation of the father, agree that the boy has been punished enough. Uh, punished enough. The lad is released and everyone goes back home. Sykes, realizing that the rope could not possibly could not have possibly broken because of Galagos's uh, weight, 
suspects divine intervention may have had a hand. So this episode stars Thomas Gomez as Peter Sykes. Uh, this is his second of two Twilight Zone episodes. He previously appeared in Escape Clause, and he also appeared in an episode of Medallion Theater written by Rod Serling in 1953 that was titled They Call Them the Meek. I couldn't find like a plot description or anything of that or anything about uh, about what it was about, but... Yeah, that was something that he collaborated with Serling on. And another thing that he had um, in his IMDb was an episode of Center Stage that was also written by Serling in 1954 titled The Worthy Opponent. And he wasn't in any other science fiction anthology shows, but he was in uh, Beneath the Planet of the Apes, which kind of has a tangential relationship. Serling, of course, and Serling uh, had a hand in writing the original Planet of the Apes. And and I believe Beneath the Planet of the Apes was the second one in the franchise. I'm like 99% sure of that. Um, co-starring in this episode as Sheriff Koch is John Larch. This is his second of three Twilight Zones. He was previously in Perchance to Dream, and the next and final appearance he'll make is in Season three's It's a Good Life. He has tons of acting credits, but no other science fiction anthology shows that I could appear, uh, that I could, uh, that I could find in it. Um, but he was in two episodes of a sci-fi series in the early 50s called Space Patrol. Um, it, it sounded kind of silly and kind of weird. Um, kind of, it kind of seemed a, like a campy type of, uh, early science fiction show. I, yeah, I couldn't find any more information about it. And then also, uh, co-starring as Gallego's, uh, father is Vladimir Sokolov. This is his first of three episodes of The Twilight Zone, and he'll finish up his run with the series in Season 3 in the episodes The Mirror and The Gift. And he also made an appearance in The Magnificent Seven, the obviously the original, of course. Um, and then uh, also it's kind of interesting to note that he actually passed away just a little bit over a year after this episode aired um which is surprising because i mean i don't know where the mirror and the gift fall in uh in the uh in the list of episodes or in the production or airing schedule of of the episodes but he is uh i mean he must have been pretty early if he were if he passed away uh so recently uh after this episode aired or so soon after this episode aired and then rounding out the cast is John Alonzo as Luis Galagos. This is his only episode of The Twilight Zone, and he also appeared in The Magnificent Seven. Um, as far as acting credits are concerned, he, he nothing really stood out or anything, but he was a very accomplished uh, cinematographer. Um, his, his DP credits on IMDb include um, some very, very big movies. Um, he, he was the, uh, cinematographer on Chinatown, uh, vanishing point. Um, Brian De Palma's, uh, Scarface, uh, steel Magnolias, um, Star Trek generations, and also the 2000 TV movie remake of Failsafe. Um, which Failsafe is the original Failsafe is a movie that I'm, I, I mean, I will, I'll have to, review it as a bonus episode. I know I've said that on the podcast before, but I just don't know what episode of the Twilight Zone to 
pair it with. So if you if you're listening and you have any suggestions, because Phil Safe is absolutely a movie that I want to check out and I want to incorporate into this podcast. So if there's a particular Cold War uh, nuclear threat episode um, coming up in the Twilight Zone, uh, let me know what it is and I'll I'll make sure I put a note to have Phil Safe paired with it because I definitely want to incorporate that. And writer for this episode was Rod Serling, and he had like this. This story has kind of an interesting past with with Serling's uh, credits and everything. So he had originally written a script for a radio play in 1950 uh, that was titled "The Dust by Any Other Name," which had a character that was trying to make a chemical that produ- would produce a dust that would uh, make mortal enemies forget their hatred for for each other. Um, and then he had tried to get that radio, um, that radio play produced, uh, but it was actually rejected, um, by Dr. Christian, the Dr. Christian radio program. So, um, then down, down the road around 1957, um, he had written a script called Aftermath for, uh, Playhouse 90, or I don't know if he necessarily wrote it for Playhouse 90, but uh, the script was titled Aftermath and was um, rejected by sponsors because they were afraid that it was too controversial. Um, that story, that iteration of the story, um, had it, it had a focal point of uh, Southern segregation of the time. So um, it being um, a contemporary issue uh, kind of... Uh, I assume scared the sponsors into not uh, producing it. So Serling went and he rewrote the script and uh, re- uh, he rewrote it to focus on um, uh, a Mexican in the 19th century, essentially. So that eventually got produced for uh, Playhouse 90 in 1958. And then um, here in 1961, um, I guess technically the production dates were, uh, October, um, uh, I'm sorry, September of 1960. Um, he reworked it again and, uh, it was actually July of 1960s when he rewrote it and shortened it and made some alterations to make it more Twilight Zony. Um, and that's where we got, um, uh, uh, dust, <laughs> simply titled dust. Um, and so that was, uh, kind of the very quick history of of um dust and there's some more interesting tidbits about a town has turned to dust but i'll talk to talk about that in my bonus review but um so that was kind of the history of that director for this episode it was douglas hayes this is his eighth of nine twilight zone episodes his next and final episode will be the invaders which i believe is later this season um in a few weeks probably um so yeah, and also kind of a interesting piece of trivia that I should probably say for trivia, but I'll throw it in here because it's related to Douglas Hayes. Um, his son, Doug Hayes Jr., um, I believe that was his name, um, appears in the, in the show, in the episode. Yeah, Doug Hayes Jr., um, as one of the farm boys, or one of the farmer boys in the episode. Um, and the reason that Doug Hayes Jr. was in the role is because, uh, his other brother uh, took ill, and it was supposed to be was supposed to be in the show, but uh, became ill. So Doug Hayes Jr. Uh, took over for him. Uh, so what I knew before going into Dust was that it was a Western themed episode, and 
that uh, that's basically it. I had caught a glimpse of the Netflix description, and I saw that it had the word tragic in it, and that's about all that I knew about it. Um, and to kind of further clarify, the actual description on uh, Netflix is... In a tragic western town, a, des- a desperate father begs for clemency as his son is slated to die for an accident he could not have prevented. Um, so yeah, so that's the description. So I saw the word tragic and thought, oh, it's something about tragedy and a western setting. So, yeah. Okay, so going into this episode, um, let's see. So I'll, I'll just dive into my, my thoughts on it. So... Um, the first thing I noticed is, is that the immediate narration by Serling was just a little bit jarring to me just because, um, uh, just because we've gone so long, so many episodes, it seems recently have had a nice little, like kind of cold open before, before the opening narration. And this just kind of dives right into it. And, um, Serling kind of, uh, it, it almost kind of takes a, takes a tone of like kind of waxing nostalgic, uh, nostalgic that he, he's talking about there was a village and that had a, a virus that was shared by its people and he referred to it as a germ of squalor. So maybe not waxing nostalgic, but he was just kind of, it's kind of has that signature surling kind of colorful wording, um, for it. But it paints, it definitely paints a vivid picture of this town that's kind of dying and, and how it's, how its people are, um, kind of on the on the edge of destroying themselves. See, um, the ending of the opening monologue says that they begin to destroy themselves. And that, like, little blurb reminded me a bit of The Monsters Are Due on Maple Street. So I kind of thought that maybe it would have something to do with, like, a mob mentality kind of thing, which is interesting because the um, previous iteration of the story, um, a, a Town Has Turned to Dust, um, definitely had that at the focal point of it. Um and so we get introduced pretty immediately to Sykes and he's actually our kind of, uh, our initial, he's, he's the first person we're introduced to. And it's immediately known like he's a very jolly guy. He's a, he's kind of the snake oil salesman. He's very prosperous. Uh, or he, he, it's immediately shown to us that he is definitely prospering over the despair of the town. So it definitely paints him in a very negative light in a very, uh, adversarial light for the episode and then not long after that we're in we're uh, introduced to uh Luis who it's interesting because the way that we're introduced to him and the way that we're introduced to his backstory and and the the fact that he basically ran over a, a, a child and killed her while he was drunk and and driving his wagon um the way that we're introduced to that is uh, purely through Sykes' dialogue, and he is just kind of taunting at Luis, and and, uh, and it's really kind of hammering home the fact that the town is just filled with misery, and and that kind of comes comes to uh, not comes to a head, but kind of it's reinforced by the fact that the sheriff, Sheriff Koch, is just completely um, uh, what what is the word I'm looking for? He's very downtrodden and just kind of tired of it, and he's not he's not he seems like he's just kind of checked out. So, um, right off the bat, we're introduced to kind of this dynamic with this, this, these three people that this one guy is profiting off of everything. This one guy is very much about to, to die. And he is clearly like very remorseful and, and, uh, um, 
very just like it's it's a tragedy tragedy for him as well and his family um and then we get the sheriff who's just kind of not necessarily letting it happen but he's just he has a little bit of authority over it but it's just he's not he doesn't have that um that drive to do it cuz presumably he's just beaten down by by the town and the the germ of squalor as serling would put it um and what I immediately noticed was kind of, uh, let's see. So uh, kind of a mixed bag with, with the character of Sykes in that first I kind of thought like, okay, well he is like, I really liked how he was be, how, uh, how his character was portrayed. I, I really enjoyed for the most part, I really did enjoy, um, Thomas Gomez's performance in this episode because he, definitely has this um levity to him that is completely misguided and completely terrible because he is for all intents and purposes the kind of villain of the episode um but he has this this glee and this kind of sense of like the energy that he has to it the the happiness that he feels by kind of berating Luis and 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 really uh, demonizing this incarcerated man who's about to die in that die that afternoon, the happiness that he feels by 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 just completely crapping on him, um, it's it's a good, I don't know the the kind of energy of it is a good counterbalance to the overall bleak tone of the entire episode in the town, because even though he is, um even though his his excitement and his uh happiness is completely driven by the pain and despair of the of the town itself just the energy that he brings to the portrayal and the the happiness is somewhat infectious to the audience like he's kind of it's fun he's fun to watch but then it gets kind of like it kind of hammers it over our heads a little bit like Sykes is almost obsessed with the with the the fact that Luis is going to be hanged and it's kind of I don't know it's just it just didn't sit right with me it was just like okay you're kind of beating a dead horse um or nearly dead criminal or uh I don't even know if I'd say criminal um but yeah it's just it's it kind of just seemed a little bit a little bit too much um and too quick of a succession. Um, yeah. So then we get the kind of funeral procession and, um, and uh, like Sykes is still like, uh, very much, um, kind of getting, uh, like very much, uh, sick, sickeningly gleeful at, at the, uh, at the, uh, at the funeral procession and everything. And then when he sees, when he sees Louise's father, um, and, and family there, he kind of, he kind of has this, this energy to him. Like, um, I believe he said, you ever seen so much gall in one place? Um, just kind of commenting on the fact that they're there, which I mean, that makes sense in, in kind of the, um, that that kind of makes a little bit of sense in the overall scheme of things cuz i mean that is a that's a kind of healthy comment to to make because i mean yeah they they came to i mean they came to pay their respects and everything and that's fine but i mean you would you could kind of see the uh um you could kind of see why it would be controversial of course since they are the family of uh of the man who's about to be hanged 
Which I think it's funny that you know they're going to going to kill the guy or execute the guy the same day that they're having the uh, funeral for the for the girl. I, I think that's just a little convenient, but I mean that's not a complaint or anything. I just thought that it was it was interesting, but it expedites the uh, story, of course. In I mean there there are just kind of a lot of layers to uh, Galagos's family. Uh, being there at the, at the funeral. And it, it there's just, uh, I don't know. There's just so many kind of layers to that. Cause I can definitely understand the family wanting to pay their respects and, and to offer their condolences to, to the family kind of on behalf of, of Luis. Um, even if, if not on behalf of Luis, then just for their own, um, uh, conscience essentially, since they, I, there, there must be some kind of, um, guilt by association, if, if you will, or, uh, this, this pain that, it makes me think that the, the pain that the family of Luis is, is feeling, um, must also be something that they have to reckon with as well. And I kind of, I, I really like that the, that it doesn't do them any favors. Like we get Sykes, making a comment about how they're, how they're there at the funeral procession. And then you have the father, um, or you have the family of the daughter. Um, I believe it was the father, um, just saying, can't you see we're burying our daughter today? And it's, it's just like, you can kind of see both sides that the, the Galagos is, they want to, um, pay their respect, pay their, uh, respects and, and maybe clear their conscience. But, the family of the child are just, they're just solely, obviously solely concentrated on, you know, saying goodbye to their daughter. So that like little small moment in the episode is, it, it might've been my favorite. Cause to be honest, I wasn't too crazy about this episode overall, but that little, like what I could read into in that scene, uh, definitely kind of, uh, helped me out, helped me with appreciating this episode a little bit more than I would have without it. And then we get the scene with, uh, Luis's father kind of defending him to the town and and um what I what I liked about that is that he's he's defending Luis in a way that's he's um he's trying to make them understand that he's a person too and what he gets for it is someone throws a rock at him and they don't listen to him so um I just I liked that kind of um not necessarily display of mob mentality because it's not necessarily mob mentality, but um, it's just it's interesting that uh, Luis's father can be viewed um, as a guilty party in it to the extent where someone literally throws a, cast cast a stone at them <laughs> at him like he is throwing yeah, like he is being physically um, harmed because of something that his son did. In which the, the crime of Luis, like, I mean, he got drunk and, and, uh, accidentally ran over a, a little girl, which, I mean, I don't, I don't know what kind of, uh, drunk driving laws were, um, in, in, enacted in, in, uh, the 19th century, but, um, but yeah, I mean, there is fault on Luis's part, but it, you know, it's kind of, the um the thesis statement of the episode is that it's it was an accident it was something that um that wasn't malicious or there was no intent to do it it was just a complete accident based on poor judgment and as a result Luis is losing his life and his family is losing him 
and and the town is is all for it because the town is kind of poisoned at this point. And so up 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 until this point, it's been a very grounded episode. And um, at that at that point, like it it was very grounded and. It was. I was struggling to keep my interest on it. Um, kind of the the fact that it was grounded and there wasn't any anything supernatural or Twilight Zoney to it yet. Uh, that coupled with the fact that it was kind of a kind of a bland Western setting. Um, at the obviously at the at the time, westerns were kind of all the all the craze because they were cheap to produce um, on television. And there isn't much to differentiate it. Like it's it's very much a kind of I don't want to say I want to steer away from the word cliche, but it's very much a kind of a, um ordinary thing. There isn't anything that stands out as far as the setting or anything, and so that that caused me to uh, uh, kind of struggle to to hold my interest. And so we get some more interesting things with uh, Louise's father talking to the sheriff about why his son drinks. Um, that it's not like this it's not it's a compulsion that's that's bred out of a deep seated sadness within him um that kind of versus Sykes perspective of of Luis's crime like where he's completely demonizing him that offered an interesting dynamic to the episode in terms of the um the kind of motivations of each character and the viewpoints of each character but i don't know like um, I don't know with, with, uh, Luis, Luis being sad, uh, a, a kind of sad drunk, it, it just felt kind of like we were just like, we were just covering this last week with, with Henry Corrin in Night of the Meek. It kind of felt like it was just kind of doubling back on something that the show has already, already very recently, um, uh, depicted in dare I say even in in a in a better and and more uh uh well-rounded way. And so then we get the not even necessarily not even like we're still not to the twilight zone moment um because Sykes tells the girl that um there's magic dust that he has that um he'll he'll sell them for 100 pesos that will make people people's hate turn to love. And that, that kind of got me more interested, even though it hadn't, um, introduced the, the Twilight Zone aspects of it. That's our first hint that, you know, something is gonna happen that's out of the ordinary. Um, and that, that got me more interested, not only because of the promise that, obviously, since it's the Twilight Zone, clearly the dust is going to work, or there's gonna be some kind of effect, um, that's gonna be Twilight Zone-y to it. But not only that, but just like that scene where he's he's manipulating this little girl out of a hundred pesos, and her fa- her grieving family out of a hundred pesos, like that just really um, reinforced Sykes as just the snake-like character. That's that's a really terrible character, and um, it kind of reminded me a little bit of uh, Mr. Denton on Doomsday back in season one. Um, Kind of it has a, that I mean that episode in this one has have a lot of similarities. They're both westerns. Uh, Denton is this uh, very sad, drunk person who can't uh, has a compulsion to drink, and there's also this uh, this man who is selling 
uh, an elixir or a in in Mr. Denton on Doomsday, it's a it's a potion on in dust. It's it's dust that is supposed to uh, make something work in the person's favor. Um, so there there are some interesting parallels to to be made there. And we get the kind of uh, big hanging scene uh, or the preparation for it. And um, like, I like the idea of of them bringing kids to the kids to the hanging to to teach a lesson. Um, that seems just kind of barbaric a little bit. Um, yeah, so I, I like the idea of, of bringing kids to a hanging to teach a lesson because it seemed, I don't know if that was intentional or not, but it kind of got a chuckle out of me that's like, that's kind of a gruesome thing to make these kids watch. But I mean, you know, the different time, I guess, but, um, the kind of big tragedy of the, of the episode, like the, mo- the saddest thing about the episode though happens when, um, Luis's father uh, brings Sykes the the hundred pesos, and he explains that all of his friends pulled their money together to to get the money for the dust. And like that is just man, that is so that's so sad to me because I can I can just like imagine this this man that's at the end of his no pun intended at the end of his rope, um going to like having his hand out to all of like his closest friends and begging them for to chip in for this for this uh for this dust that i mean has like is clearly like very much not uh likely to save his son and they did it and just the fact that the, he got the money together just man it's 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 just so sad and and um sad to me really and Sykes at this point when he sells them the dust isn't even hiding the fact that he's just the shady the shady snake oil salesman um like he's he remarks that he sells which is needed he sells that which is needed which that kind of reminds me of what you need obviously which I mean I don't know like I'm I'm kind of getting into a, a thing where like I'm comparing this episode to other episodes strictly because I don't really have much to say about this episode because I wasn't that interested in it. So those comparisons are just kind of out of, I'm making comparisons to what are stronger episodes in the twilight zone because this one just kind of didn't, didn't seem to really work for me. Um, I did like the scene where Luis's father is, is uh, kind of uh, throwing the dust at all the people and he's pleading for them to, uh, uh, like his line is you must pay heed to the magic and i kind of i kind of like that and um in the episode builds a, a respectable amount of suspense as we're getting prepared for luis to to be hanged and we get the the kind of build up to the actual hanging like obviously i mean for me at least it was obvious that something is going to happen that is not expected with this this hanging although man it would have been kind of incredible if if this episode was kind of, well, I don't know if incredible is the right word, but I'm, I would be, I would have been interested to see this episode, um, be just a completely straightforward thing, um, that, that Luis does get, get executed and, and the dust doesn't work. But I don't know how that would have worked in, in the greater Twilight Zone, um, canon, I guess. But, um, but in the lead up to the actual hanging, when, when he, when, when he is about to be hanged, um, 
it's, I mean, it's actually suspenseful because, like I said, it's very much expected that something out of the ordinary is going to happen when when it, when they uh, they hang him, just because the conceit of the Twilight Zone is that things happen that are out of the ordinary, and nothing particularly out of the ordinary has happened yet in this episode. But still, it the way that it's shot and the way that the um, the way that it's kind of drawn out um, really is is kind of a, a unique and uh, respectable way to to depict it because you're kind of uh, like as for as much as I wasn't that invested in this episode um, mentally, I was still like I was still kind of feeling that kind of giddiness that kind of edge of your seatness when you're not sure what's what the outcome is going to be. So I, I kind of, I definitely respect the episode for that because it kind of worked. It worked in kind of an uphill fashion to get me to be invested in it, in the kind of big, uh, big moment. And so of course the rope breaks and I thought that that was interesting. The whole way that that scene played out, like the, the sheriff gets his moment to, um, kind of just, uh, I guess the town itself gets a moment to reflect on on uh what they need to do or or whether or not they would um hang him again and and how they kind of figure out that they're not going to hang him that that he's um suffered enough and everything and just there was there was just this gloom and and dourness that's all over the townspeople at that in that moment that i I appreciated um and then the episode kind of just ends with Sykes taking the taking the money and just giving it to the kids and that that kind of stood out to me as in a kind of a negative way because um he says the line that's what she is magic and I took that to mean that he's just you know he's accepting that oh wow that dust that dust was magic like there was something um otherworldly or divine that that stepped in for it and um, and I get that. Like, I, I kind of appreciate that because it's, it's not a full redemption for him. But the fact that he gives the kids the money, I, I'm not sure if he really earned that much of it. Like, he's still like this sniveling, like snake oil salesman. You would think that he would still keep the money. Like, I don't know if, it, like, it's not like he had a complete change of heart, or at least I, it didn't feel like to me that he had a complete change of heart to the point where he would just give away the money that he, uh, just, took from a, gr- a grieving and desperate man. Um, but maybe that's my own hang up with, it. I just think that that, that I, maybe part of it is because the, um, the actual supernatural elements of the episode kind of appeared so late in the episode and, um, and they really hammered home Sykes, uh, kind of very, uh, morally, morally uh his broken moral compass throughout the episode so i just don't f- feel like there was enough of a turn for him to really turn around and and uh and and become a better person by the end of the episode so overall i mean this was kind of a middle of the road episode for me maybe even a little bit less it was it was somewhat a little bit below average for me um like there's nothing in the episode that's particularly bad or or damaging to it. Like it's a very, it's a very well put together episode and like, like everything tracks pretty well except for Sykes's redemption at the end. But at the same time, while I don't have much to really, really speak negatively about it, 
nothing about it really stands out that much. And the things that do stand out are the things that remind me of, of frankly, better episodes of the Twilight Zone that I've seen and, and, uh, and things that I am kind of putting more into, like I'm reading more into than maybe reading more into what's there or I'm expanding on what's there because it's not in there enough. Like, uh, Luis's father, uh, um, getting the, getting the money together and the, um, kind of dichotomy between like why, why Luis drinks and, and the town and, 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 uh, everyone's, uh, viewpoint of him. Like there, these are things that are touched on, but none of it is seems like a big focus of the episode. Like it's not like a big sprawling thing throughout the entire episode. It's just a collection of very little interactions and, and, uh, dynamics at play. And I think the episode kind of suffers for that. But again, there's nothing out outwardly bad about the episode. It's just kind of a slightly below average episode for me. And so as far as trivia, I don't really have much except for, well, really the only thing that I have is what I've already said. The, uh, Douglas Hayes's, uh, son appeared as one of the farm boys and the basic information about the genesis of the idea and, and where, it uh, came from and and its history of like writing history and everything. So overall, like I said, it was just a kind of below average episode. But um, yeah, I, I guess that'll do it for my review of the episode. And of course, before we move on to this week's bonus review, um, I'm going to play a short clip from an episode of Tower Junkies, um, a podcast where uh, me and my co-host Tiny talk about Stephen King and the Dark Tower series. So enjoy this clip. It seems like since uh, Jake is a child, it's kind of a more nurturing kind of thing. Like these are his role models and his his family. And viewing the quartet through the eyes of Jake is is a little stronger than through uh, through the eyes of other characters in the quartet, just because he is this. Uh, this child that's still kind of uh, growing. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, you can find Tower Junkies on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and at um, towerjunkiespod.com. And you can find uh, more of my podcasting and everything at obsessiveviewer.com slash podcasts. So my bonus review for this week is A Town Has Turned to Dust, which is a 1958 Playhouse 90 episode written by Rod Serling, starring Rod Steger uh, and William Shatner and directed by John Frankenheimer. And let's see. And it's some kind of a little bit of uh, notes about this episode in, in particular. Like, first of all, it is available in its entirety on YouTube. Um, the audio is not great. There are moments where it kind of cuts out a little bit here and there. So it was a little it was a little difficult to watch, but it is available in its entirety on YouTube. And Serling said that his original teleplay, apparently it was uh, changed drastically by censors and he was furious with the finished product. He, he was quoted as saying they chopped it up like a room full of butchers at work on a steer. Um, and then this was kind of interesting to me. The episode was remade as a made for TV movie with Stephen Lang and Ron Perlman, um, about 40 years after the episode aired. So in the, in the nineties, um, where they set the episode, they set the story in post-apocalyptic 2215. And I believe it was on sci-fi, um, which at the time would have been, uh, actual sci-fi channel, not 
S Y F Y. But anyway, um, yeah. So first off, um, I really like the opening music of Playhouse 90. Um, I've reviewed a couple episodes of Playhouse 90 for this podcast and just like, I, there's something about the music that plays at the beginning of Playhouse 90 that I really enjoy. Um, so this, the episode or the, the story kind of begins with these people kind of the, the sheriff and, and, uh, the police kind of waiting for this lynch mob to come and take this, uh, kid, take this, take this prisoner to, to hang him. Um, and it's remarked in the episode that, uh, hanging is a faster brand of justice than God intended, which I thought was kind of beautifully stated. Um, uh, definitely, definitely an interesting kind of thing to bring us into the episode or bring us into the story. And so they're kind of waiting for the lynch mob. And I, I thought that it was interesting that, um, you know, as much as that quote that I read of from Serling about them, um, kind of tearing it apart and, and the censors kind of tearing it apart, just the fact that in 1958 they were showing, and granted this was, this was kind of transposed to the 19th cent, uh, 19th century story and, and, um, and, uh, kind of the, the racism involved was toward Mexicans, but, in 1958, showing lynchings on TV, got it, like it, it must have resonated a lot with the time and the, uh, kind of the racial controversy of the time, of course. Um, and so basically I'll give away a little bit of the plot element for it. Um, because it's kind of the opening is them taking, uh, this lynch mob coming to the, to the sheriff's, uh, uh, to the jail and taking, like physically taking the, taking the man and hanging him, um, outside. It's, it's like, it's an actual like lynching. They're not like a, it's not an execution. It's, it's a lynch mob that comes and takes him. And what I loved about that, like the end, the end of the first, the first act is the lynching. And then it ends with, um, the sheriff kind of lamenting that they never heard the, the, uh, the guy's story. Like, like, the mob was so wrapped up in the, in the fervor of it and the mob mentality of it that no one ever even got the, even got the man's side of the story. And so the kind of the story was that, uh, Jerry Paul played by William Shatner, he owns a general store and that he claimed that the guy had tried to rob the store and beat his wife. And there's a little bit more to it than that, that comes into play in a couple, uh, in a little bit later in the episode. But, um, but I, I'll save that for if you want to check it out, but I just, I just kind of like this kind of, uh, tender display of, of how like the sheriff is very much, he's very downtrodden and very, um, morose over it. And like, they're, they're saying that like, we didn't, we didn't know he was guilty. We just strung him, strung him up to satisfy the mood. And what I love about this episode, or what I enjoyed about this story and this depiction was that William Shatner is, is really good in it. He plays this very, very racist and, um, kind of this, this very casual racist who, um, he is the villain of the, of the, of the episode, but it's, there's such a casual na- nature to him that it just seems like he is, it's just kind of set in his way. And it's, it's very much indicative of like, this is, like he just speaks casually about how, you know, Mexican people are, are lesser than him because they are, because they're Mexican and he's white. And it's just, oh, it's just, it's just rough to watch. Like his casual racism throughout the episode is very unnerving to me. Um, 
And then it's revealed later in the episode that there was a, a very brutal lynching about 16 years, set 16 years before this episode. Um, and it's, it's just really that, like that comes into play later, um, later in the episode, but it's just, it's, it really kind of ties the, ties the story together about this town and, and the mob mentality and, and the kind of, um, overt racism of, of the town. And it's just, it's a really interesting depiction because after the lynching takes place and everything, there's like this party scene in the bar and they're like, like everyone is celebrating and it's just a very disturbing thing to see. Um, yeah. And then, and then throughout the episode, I'm trying to dance around spoilers, but throughout the episode, um, the sheriff played by Rod Steger and, uh, William Shatner, they kind of they kind of uh, go up against each other. Um, like Rod Steger kind of uh, represents the um, the humanity of the town or what's left. Like he's the last notion of humanity in the town. And William Shatner is this kind of devil person who is leading the, leading the town into this destructive force and destructive um, thing. And it's just this the way that they, the cataclysm of them coming together and them kind of not literally duking it out, but the way that their ideals are representative are represented in contrast to each other. It's like they have really strong scenes together where they're both kind of going back and forth and they're not, neither one is unwielding. Like they're not necessarily unwielding to it. Like, um, like they're very much set in their ideals and the way that the episode kind of goes through like the, um, this will have to be a brief, <laughs> brief review because I can't really talk more about it without spoiling it. But, um, the way the episode concludes is very satisfying to me uh, as a statement on, on racism and, and everything like that. Um, and William Shatner and Rod Steger were really great in it. Like I said, this episode was available in its entirety on YouTube with some slight sound issues, but honestly, that's the only way that I, I could find it. Um, I couldn't even find it like on Google Play or anything. Um, which again, man, I really wish that, I know that I think that there's a DVD collection of old uh, Playhouse 90 episodes uh, collected in a DVD set, but I I don't know where I don't know how much it is or if it's still in print. But man, I just I wish that you know stories like this and and like old um, live television like that would be you know remastered and 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 released for you know us to watch and enjoy. Um, it would make my job a lot easier. I'll say that. So anyway, um, that's a kind of brief review and this might be actually kind of a brief episode overall. Um, I haven't checked the time, I guess not, not, not necessarily that brief, pretty much on point, but, um, yeah, so that'll do it for this episode of anthology. Um, I am currently doing my bonus review series for black mirror season four. Um, you can check that out on the feed and then, um, after that, I'm, I'm gonna do two episodes in between each main episode of Anthology, so I'm gonna get through that really quick, and then right after that, I'm gonna dive right into my Philip K. Dick's Electric Dreams, uh, bonus review series, so we're gonna have a lot of stuff coming out here in the next month or so. Um, so next, uh, oh, uh, and if you like what you've heard, and you wanna help support the show, obviously you can leave that, you can leave a rating and review on iTunes. It, only takes a couple minutes. Just you can just type in type in a sentence or or what have you, and then 
uh, and rate it hopefully five stars. Um, and you know, that increases visibility for the podcast on, uh, iTunes, which is the preeminent, like it's the most, the, like it's the, the biggest search engine and everything, uh, for podcasts. So, um, yeah. And if you're feeling particularly generous, you can of course also donate to the podcast through PayPal by clicking the donate button on anthologypod.com, or you can become a patron at patreon.com slash obsessive viewer, uh, where you can, if you pay minimum of $1, you will get my undying gratitude and access to a special RSS feed that is, uh, that has, uh, bonus or a Patreon exclusive commentary tracks for movies. Um, I currently only have Jingle All the Way up for Christmas, but I'll be reviewing, I'll be uh, recording another um, commentary track probably this weekend um, for that feed. And so again, you can find that at patreon.com slash obsessive viewer. And next time on the podcast, I am going to be reviewing Back There which is episode 13 of season two of The Twilight Zone. And for my bonus review, I will be reviewing 1960s uh, um, adaptation of H.G. Wells's The Time Machine. And then the week after that will be the this month's uh, Patreon-selected bonus review. Um, uh, Patreon subscriber Robert uh, is once again backing me for uh, for uh, this month, and he is going... he. Uh, in talking to him, he has selected the science fiction movie, uh, Mr. Nobody, uh, from, I believe it's 2009. It's available on Netflix, so watch for that in the next couple of weeks. And yeah, once again, check out my bonus reviews of Black Mirror. Um, season four is pretty, pretty good. Um, it's pretty, uh, there's some really good stuff in season four and I'm really excited to review it. So without further ado, thank you guys so much for listening and thank you once again for another, uh, year of podcasting somewhat regularly on this podcast. I promise I'm, I'm going to be releasing my goal is to release more consistently in 2018 and much more than just 22 episodes. So I'm so glad that you guys are sticking with me for another year and I'm looking forward to, um, being uh doing a better job this year so thank you once again for listening and we'll i'll see you next time thank you for listening to anthology presented by obsessiveviewer.com for more of anthology and a full archive of my episodes go to anthologypod.com And if you want to help support the show, the easiest way you can do that is by leaving a rating and a review on iTunes. You can also make donations to the show courtesy of the donate link in the show notes of each episode and on anthologypod.com. For recurring donations, you can become a patron at patreon.com slash obsessive viewer and just choose one of the anthology reward tiers. If you enjoy Anthology, feel free to check out The Obsessive Viewer, a weekly movie and TV podcast I host with my friend Tiny and occasional guest co-hosts over at ObsessiveViewer.com. You can also join The Obsessive Viewer Facebook group at Facebook.com slash The Obsessive Viewer. For book reviews and commentary on the world of reading, check out our sister site at ObsessiveBookNerd.com. And for philosophical discussions from a secular viewpoint, check out my friends Chad and Amanda at thesecularperspective.com. Finally, if you'd like to contact me with your thoughts on the show, my reviews, my bonus reviews, or for any other reason, you can tweet me at obsessiveviewer, send me an email at matt at obsessiveviewer.com, 
or send me a message on Facebook and like the Facebook page at facebook.com slash anthologypod. Once again, thank you guys so much for listening, and I'll see you next time.